Thank you, Ken, for reading those 11 verses. Fret not yourself. Trust in the Lord. I trust that as we're here this morning that um, we're feeling a, the full sense of what that means, to trust in the Lord, to be assured of his goodness to us no matter what may take place in this life. And this is sort of really the, the direction we've been going in with this, uh, this study in Daniel. So before we get into it, let's ask the Lord just to lead us, our hearts and minds, and to speak to us, and we'll ask him to help us be good listeners as well. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace, the grace that was shown to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the wonderful celebration that we've come through a celebration of the cross, of the sacrifice that was made, of the resurrection and victory that was accomplished over sin and death. And we're thankful, Lord, that you allow us to share in that victory in a full sense. We don't even understand the sense how it can be that something that you have done applies so perfectly and wonderfully to our lives but Lord we are learning we're growing in this understanding as we grow to understand you and as we apply your truth to our lives and so we pray that you'd help us each one of us to continue to grow and we pray that this time in your word right now would be part of that growth process another step forward that we would have hearts ready to listen ready to learn from you that you would speak to us, Lord. So lead us in our time right now. Uh, lead my heart and mind and words as well. Because we want to speak your truth. We want to understand your truth. We want to know you better. So lead us, we pray, in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Well, my hope was as we began this chapter uh, last week, chapter 8 of Daniel that we would come away with a greater confidence in God's control over the events of this world and also the events of our life because sometimes we have this, this theological view of things. We, we state these things, these truths from Scripture, but we forget how they apply practically to our lives. And that's always the important part that we come back to. What does this mean? How should this transform the way we live our lives? Not just the way we look at this life, but how do we live our lives in light of the fact that God is in control? That he knows what's going to happen. In Daniel chapter 8, the details of the future were spelled out in this vision he had in symbolic images. And there were actually actual names given with such precision. God knew the future. But then there's some Bible critics out there who say, no, no, no. There's too much precision there. Can't be true. This was actually written much later. After these events had taken place and they say... This book of Daniel wasn't really Daniel's book after all. It was written between the Testaments, after the Old Testament, before the New Testament, that intertestamental period. It was written in the time of Maccabees because this is the time when all of those things were fulfilled. 
And so that's what they would say. Because they don't believe in a supernatural God. In fact, they don't believe in God. Because God is a supernatural God. I mean, he created this. He planned this. He he spoke this world into being. This is his history. He knows what's going to (laughs) happen. Big deal if he gives a vision about something that's going to be happening in the future. Of course he can do that. He already knows. But they think, no, no, this was written much later. It was written, you know, in in, in a... poetic sort of way uh, and as if it was a prophecy but the problem with that is that even in the character of the writing of this book of Daniel it shows not that it was just written about that time but it was written from that time the language the vocabulary it shows that the the writer Daniel was living through the different transitions the Babylonian culture comes out in his writing. Then the Medo-Persian culture and language comes out in his writing. In fact, part of the book is written in the language of the day. And so you come to this place where you go, man, this was either really a really, really, really elaborate hoax (laughs) or this is the book of Daniel. This is a prophecy that was given to Daniel by God with supernatural insight into the future. And so those of us who are willing to believe, those of us who are not trying to suppress the truth, we're able to see how a sovereign God is over all. He's over the most, what did we see last week? The most controlling empires. He is over the most competent emperors. And he is also over the most corrupt evil. Our God reigns over all that stuff. It's no surprise to him that it's happening. He's working out his plan in a wonderful, beautiful way. He doesn't just have a plan, but he's also capable of carrying that plan out. There's one of these new superhero movies coming out, Thor, and I just noticed some advertisement for it and and it says not every god has a plan <laughs> listen that's no god <laughs> who gives the definition to god god is not oh a made up legend god is not a figment of our imagination god defines himself God doesn't just have a plan. He created history and everything that is taking place. And so, of course, he knows what's going on. Does this change the way you look at life? Should it change the way we look at life? Does this give those of us who are committed to him this carefree conscientiousness? Remember we talked about that last week? Just a, We go into life going, hey, we're with God. If we're walking in step with him, we can have this carefreeness about life. We don't have to worry because God has things under control. But we want to be conscientious to walk with him in his plan. What a beautiful situation. It doesn't negate our st- struggles. 
It doesn't negate the fact that, yeah, we sometimes second-guess ourselves, and we do dumb things <laughs> called sin. But I've told you this before. I like the fact that Daniel displays an authentic humanness, even in the writing of this, this book. He gets worked up over the horrifying images he sees, and he asks questions. There's not this pious coolness, this disinterestness. As, as Daniel writes his stuff down, it's sort of like, yeah, you know, this is stuff from God, and God's got it. He's showing his, his humanity. He sees things going on, and he's blown away by it. We're going to see more of that today. How he's overwhelmed by what he's seeing in the future. And, and he asks questions, and I also like the fact that a lot of times these visions come with interpretation included. It's kind of like batteries not included, but no. These are interpretations included. And so this is what we're into this week, chapter, chapter 8, 15 down through 27. Daniel is asking about the vision. The vision that was clear to us now because we're looking back on history and how that vision was played out in history already. We even looked forward at the interpretation just to confirm that we were, we were on track. And so now we're going to that interpretation and we're going to see what more we can learn from this ancient vision that will be of practical value to us today. And as well, I remembered I owe you a name, right? I told you I was going to tell you who that one horn was that came up later in the vision. But the focus for us in this part of the chapter, after establishing the fact God is in sovereign control, can be reduced to three words. This focus on us, our capability of understanding, our responsibility, and our vulnerability. Capability, responsibility, vulnerability. We swing from a focus on God's limitlessness to confronting our limitations in this area of the prophetic. And we're going to understand why that's a good thing. Okay? We're going to find out just how limited we are. And we're going to see that is a good thing. And here we go. First of all, beginning with our grasp of the future will always be limited. We're going to read verses 15 to 17 together. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it, and behold... There stood before me one having the appearance of a man, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. So in these verses, 15 to 17, it sets the stage for the interpretation of the vision, both with the content of the paragraph, what it says, and the character of Daniel, how he feels about what's going on. We see that Daniel's at a loss. He's upset. He's seen this vision. He, he's seen this <laughs> graphic dream of what is going to take place, 
and has worked them up. He knows this from God. We've seen that with Nebuchadnezzar before. We've seen that with Belshazzar as he saw the writing on the wall. Everybody who gets one of these visions, they know God makes it clear that it is something important and it's from him and it upsets him, it, them and Daniel's no different. But three times in these verses, we see this word understand and we understand, we understand. we're working in the interpretation of this vision. And sometimes, you know, understanding the Bible is just as easy as noticing repeated words. And so Daniel sought to understand. This voice cried out, make him understand. And then Gabriel, angel Gabriel's involved here, says, understand, O son of man. Now I'm going to jump ahead, right down to the end of the chapter, verse 27. Verse 27, it says as well that not much has changed. Look what it says at the end, the last part of the chapter. But I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Now that might be a little disconcerting for you. Wait a second, we get through this whole chapter, this whole interpretation, and Daniel still doesn't understand? Wow. It's the same with his emotional state. And we're talking about interpretation. We're talking about Daniel understanding. But how does he feel about all of this? Well, he's frightened. We see in verse 17 that he falls on his face. And after it's all over, what happens in verse 27? It says he's overcome and he lay sick for some days. He's still overcome. We're thinking, why are we studying this? If the great Daniel doesn't get it, if it's upsetting to him and, and all this interpretation doesn't help him, what, what are we to get from this? What are we to learn? Well, our tendency is that we always want answers. We always want to be in the know. If we don't have answers, we like to be you know, everybody likes to be smartest man in the room, right? We like it when we're the ones who just happen to have the right answer. And that's the way it always is with human nature. I mean, there's bad in that and there's good in that. God is the one truly with all the answers, isn't he? To want to be like God, in a certain sense, is not a bad thing. We're his image bearers. We want truth. You know, the humanness of it is we want to be the smart guy. We want everybody to look to us. But the good part to it is this. We should be people who want to know truth. And that's a good thing. And it's always been that way. You know, in Matthew 24, which we're going to be tying into Matthew 24 over the next couple of weeks, a little bit, Jesus foreshadows about future things with the disciples. He says, you know, look at the temple. Not one of these stones is going to be left on the other. And all of a sudden, the disciples' ears perk up and their minds start reeling. And they say, they come to Jesus later privately. And they say, tell us when. What will be the signs of your coming at the close of the age? They say, we want some details here. 
We want to be in the know. Now, which was it, the good or the bad? <laughs> was it their curiosity, their human curiosity? They, they want to be the guys to go around to everybody else and go, guess what I know? Or was it their concern to understand truth? Unfortunately, in our fallen state, there's usually a mixture of both of those things going on, even as believers. We want it to be that we just were people of the truth, but so often it's just this, I'd like to know. I'd like to know. Well, this is what Jesus' answer starts with. In, verse, in, in chapter 24 of Matthew, it starts with, be careful with those who give you all the details. Isn't that interesting? Sit on this for a moment. Think about that. We're always anxious to know. And sometimes we fall prey to those who say, I know. And we want to follow them so we can say, we know too. And Jesus answered to his disciples when they're going, tell us, give us the answer, was be careful. Not just be careful of those guys, you know, he talks about there'll be many antichrists who come, many who come in my name. Jesus was saying this constantly to his disciples, take care. It wasn't just take care of them, but take care of that attitude. <laughs> that thing, that can pull us in, you know, that desire to have what is not ours. So just take care. And that's what Jesus does as he begins to talk to them. He says, just take care. Then he gives the disciples after that, in Matthew 24, some generic signs. He talks about the wars and rumors of war and just the way the world will be disintegrating. We think, man, that's not anything like hard and fast because those things have been happening. Those things will always be happening. They'll increase until the end. We want something like a blood moon, you know, so many blood moons and then it's going to happen and then we realize, man, there's a lot of blood moons. A lot of times when that moon is, is red and another blood moon, another, this is it. No, it's not it. Um, he just gives them generic, you know, these, this is the character of what will happen as we move toward the end. Okay. And then he gives a warning. Bad things are going to happen to you. He talks about being prepared for persecution. And then finally he talks about salvation in the gospel proclamation. A glorious ending. And what we should realize here, what I want us to understand is that things have not changed much in terms of God's communication to his followers over the years about future events. With Daniel, with the disciples, and with us, God is always giving us characteristics. But he's not laying out schematics. He's not giving us dates. He's not giving us hard and fast, this is it. In fact, the reason that we were able to understand this vision that Daniel had so well, and, because, and, and 
Daniel was the guy it was given to. He was a man of God. But we understood it because it's already over. It already played out in times past in that intertestamental period before Christ came into the world. And that's maybe a key thing to understand about prophecy. There are characteristics, there are points given, there are things that we should be thinking about. But ultimately, prophecy is given so when it happens, when it's over, we go, that was it. God knew. He knew what was going to happen, and it happened just the way he said it was going to happen. Glory be to God. (laughs) Our confidence in him grows. Do we understand our capability when it comes to prophecy? Or maybe I should say our incapability when it comes to understanding God's plan? Isaiah 55, 9. You're familiar with these words. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God is speaking through Isaiah to his people. He says, I'm way beyond you. But just before this, in verse 6, we're told to seek. In verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 55, when he says, I'm way beyond you, he says, seek. But you know what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, seek answers. He says, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Even though he's way beyond us, we seek him. It's not always, oh, we've got to have the answers. We want to be in the know. In the loop. Remember the, there was a t-shirt a while ago, I remember seeing, you know, had a picture of a circle, that's, this is the loop, and then there's a little X out here, outside of it, says, you are here. <laughs> You're not in the loop. We always want to be in the loop. We want to be in the know. That's not the question. That shouldn't be the desire for those of us who have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We should just want more of him. And we'll know that we know what we need to know. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depth, the riches, the wisdom of God and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. Once again, it's just saying, God is beyond us. His ways are always mysterious. We see it with his disciples. If anybody was living in a time when they should have had all the answers, they were walking with Jesus. Jesus was saying some things so plainly to them about his death three times. I am going to die. They are going to torture and kill me. He couldn't have said it any more clearly, but he kept it hidden from them. For his part, for their part, they just didn't want to understand it that way. No, that can't be, because what's going to happen is we're going to have a great victory right here and now. Jesus is going to be the king. He's going to take over. Rome is going to get kicked out, conquered. They didn't want to hear it. And so if, if anybody 
should have understood the details. It should have been them, but they didn't. And we might say, in our humanness, in our fallenness, and we've heard this said before, how can we trust a God that we cannot fully understand? That sounds like a logical question. How can we understand a God that we cannot fully understand? Sounds like a good question. But you know what? There's a better question. How could we trust a God that we could fully understand? If God's infinite, if God is who God is, how can we, his creatures, just a part of his creation, how could we understand everything he understands? How would that be possible? And so what man has continued to do in his fallen state is he's continued to create gods that he can comprehend completely that follow his rules our way of thinking that acts according to our desires that does what he we want him to do once again i'll say that is no god that's an idol isn't it and so we need to come to this understanding this acceptance of our sacred limitation our place before the almighty god that leads us not to this tabloid type curiosity but to a place of communion with him we're we're encouraged jesus encourages us to seek to ask to knock we're told in James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But even at that, what are we talking about? We're talking about asking God. We're not just looking for answers. We're asking God. And what are we asking for? We're talking about wisdom here. A process that draws us into communion with him. You know what? God will give us everything that we need to live in relationship and a closer relationship and a closer relationship with him. Does it say here that, wow, we can control God and he'll give us everything we want? The Bible never says that, does it? It doesn't. But everything we need? That's what it's all about. That's what this prophecy thing is all about. It's about us being alerted to God's working in this world. It gives us more of a knowledge of Him. More so than the telling of our fortunes. Our grasp is limited when it comes to prophecy. It always will be. And what we're coming to understand as we look at this in Scripture is it's meant to be that way. Well, that's disappointing. 
came here to the church this morning for more answers just to find out that God will always limit my understanding of what's going on. Well, before you're put out with that, let's keep going. Not only is our grasp of the future limited, but our need to grasp the future is limited. Let's look at the next few verses and go a little further with understanding this. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep. This is Daniel, with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand up. Now I don't know if he fell asleep and woke up or if he fell asleep and in his sleep he rose up in the vision. We don't know. But he said, the angel said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation. For it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, you remember the the vision we talked about. Some of you weren't here. Maybe I should recap. There was this ram, male sheep, on the banks of the, the canal in Susa, Babylon. He says, that ram with those two horns. Remember, they were lopsided horns like the lopsided bear in the earlier vision. And they were, says right here, the kings of Media and Persia. Two lopsided kingdoms that were one empire over the world. And the goat is the king of Greece. Remember that goat with the horn out of its forehead, the one horn? The king of Greece, who is he? Who took over the world? Alexander the Great. Someone we all remember. So that was the goat that took over. King of Greece and the great horn between his eyes is that first king. And as for the horn that was broken, let's remember what happened. Remember what it said in the the vision? It said at the height of his power, He would be broken. And we remember Alexander the Great owned the world by his 30s. And then he died immediately. In place which which four others arose. We remember he said on his deathbed, give the kingdom to the strong. And he had four generals and they said, well, it must mean his four generals. So the four generals get the kingdom. Four kingdoms shall arise from his nation. And those four generals couldn't get along. And they, it said in the vision, they went to the four winds in four different directions. They had their little piece of the empire. And one of those four kingdoms, or those four kingdoms, sorry, shall arise from his nation, but not with his power and 23 And the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise, and his power shall be great, but not by his own power, and he shall cause fearful destruction, and shall succeed in what he does, and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints." You remember, out of those four generals, there are four kingdoms, and it said in the vision, the one rules toward the east and the south. East and south of Greece is 
East and south of Greece is Israel, the beautiful land it was called. We talked about that being Seleucus, the general Seleucus. going to back up a little bit in what the Lord provides for Daniel as he begins to explain this this is something I want us to understand first of all he doesn't give that much more than what he gives him in the vision the only thing that pops up here and we jumped ahead and grabbed it last week were the names of the kingdoms Medo-Persia and Greece Basically, the angel, what the angel does here is repeats exactly what happened in the vision. Well, that's frustrating. It's the same thing with his conversations with the disciples. Matthew 24. He doesn't go that much further beyond what he said before. Do we have a negative view of this? Once again, this is the negative fallen human view of this <laughs> he's not giving us very much or this is the redeemed attitude a proper understanding of our trust relationship with a sovereign loving heavenly father oh he must have already given us everything we need <laughs> wouldn't it be beautiful if we had that attitude all the time we weren't always going, come on, God, give us more. We want more. We were, okay, look at He gives it to us. He's repeating it. He must have given us exactly what we need to know. And that is the truth. That is the truth. The vision itself communicates the exact character of the following two empires. Something that will be clearly communicated when it actually happens. Daniel could go back to his writings and say, oh, yep, there I see it now. God was in control. He knew. But guess what? Daniel wouldn't even be around. And so people could go back to Daniel's writings, people like us right now, and say, oh, that's exactly what happened. God knew God had planned this so we see the exact identity of the empires that will fill these roles but you know what there wasn't in this vision and in this interpretation there wasn't anything that helped Daniel with investment strategies or his survival, or anything like that. Nada. Nothing. Because you know what? Before these, these, these prophecies would be fulfilled, years passed. Years passed. Rains happened. Kings came and went. Lifetimes passed before this vision was fulfilled. The time between Alexander the Great's death and the division of the Grecian Empire into four sections and the fulfillment of the one horn that comes out of Seleucus, Seleucus, they call it the Seleucid dynasty. 
was 130 years. Because remember that king that rose up in the Seleucid dynasty? Why was he important? He was just one of many kings. But he was important, it said in the vision, because he was the one who was going to go into Israel and he was going to stop worship. He was going to defile the temple. And that was a big deal in terms of Israel, the people of God. It was a big deal because he was going to oppose God. And so we understand why Daniel would be getting this vision of something that would happen two empires in the future. Hundreds of years later. And I told you I was going to tell you the guy's name. Seleucus, as you know, the Grecian general who gained control of that area that included Israel. Eight emperors into the Seleucid dynasty produced this guy, Antiochus Epiphanes, the fourth. (laughs) Doesn't sound like he was very central, but he was central in terms of God's prophecy, in terms of God dominating evil, the evil empires that men produced. This was 400 years after the vision of Daniel. Antiochus Epiphanes, the fourth. And you think, why didn't God just give Daniel the name and the date? Why didn't he say, there's going to be this guy, Antiochus Epiphanes, and it's going to happen in this year. I think, was Daniel too simple? Was he too sinful? Or was there just simply no reason to give him that information? What was Daniel's responsibility? Did he need to do something to prepare for four centuries later? No. He needed to live and serve God in his time. And you know, if we were given names and details of things that were going to happen in the future, it might just be a distraction for us. We're like that, aren't we? We grab onto details, and maybe Daniel would just say, well, I'm going to sit around until this guy named Antiochus Epiphanes comes along, you know? Nothing big is going to happen in the plan of God until he comes. We would never live like that, would we? But you know, Daniel doesn't do that. I was thinking of this, Matthew, this verse, Matthew 6.34. It talks, it says, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. Live in this day, you know, don't worry about the problems in the future. 
Look at what you're doing today and how God is leading you in this day. If our take on the prophetic, and not just our understanding, but our attitude toward it, is distracting us from living as we ought to live right now, for the Lord, then it's off track. It's hard for us not to get derailed. We have to understand there's a difference between the imminent return of Jesus Christ and the immediate return of Jesus Christ. The imminent return says he could come back at any time. Is it tomorrow? Is it this year? That's immediate. We don't know. But we should be living with this idea of imminence. Not going around with a sandwich board saying, it's now. We don't know. And we know there have been many in the past, different groups who've said, it's now. He's coming now. This is the date. (laughs) What does that do to their testimony? It's not a good look. But it helps us understand their failures. And so... We need to not get distracted. Daniel didn't understand all of the details. And you know, as you go through this, it seems that the Lord was downplaying the need for him to act. The importance and the immediacy. The Lord states through verse 17, 19, 23, talks about this being the latter times. This is for the time of the end. This is going to happen later on. Verse 26. We'll jump to the end again. It says at the end of that verse. But seal up the vision. For it refers to many days from now. This is the vision. This is what I communicated. Take it. Set it aside. Seal it up. In fact, this is the first chapter. We're back into Hebrews again. Remember? The Hebrew language. Because the previous chapters were in Chaldean. They were truths about what was going on in that day for the wider kingdom. And now he's writing again in Hebrew. And the Lord says to him, you know what? This is, this is a vision. I want you to know this. But take it and seal it up. Just hang on to this. It's for the latter time. It's for the end. So it's like there's no action point. You know when you have a meeting, those official meetings, and they say, well, what action points do we have? What action point is there for Daniel? Write this down. (laughs) That's what he did. He wrote it down. It's there. It's for a later time. And so we've got to think about this. What is our need in terms of grasping an understanding of future events? We need to be... And it's not a bad thing to be asking questions, to be searching the scripture, to be understanding the character. It seems to me 
that the prophetic will only perfectly be understood when we're living in that time when things are prophesied. Last part, our fear about our grasp on the future should be limited. Let's keep reading down through this, verse 25 to 27. It says, and this is talking about Antiochus Epiphany. But his cunning shall make deceit prosper under his hands. And in his own mind, he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many. And he shall even rise against the prince of princes. He shall be broken. But by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true. But seal up the vision for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and I went about the king's business. But I was appalled by the vision and did not understand. Our fear about the grass, our grasp in the future should be limited. It bothers us, doesn't it? It eats at us. We want to know details. But yet we said we will understand all the details right after it happens. With this event, we look back and we see what has happened. We see how God has glorified himself. We see how everything works out. As Greece goes to extend its power in the world, to impose its culture on the world, this guy, Antiochus Epiphanes IV, he goes nuts. He moves into Israel and he says, you know what? These guys are the obstacle. These guys are the enemy. And you know what? He's right. Because they serve the living God. And these guys who lift themselves up as though they were God run smack into God and begin to persecute his people. You know what epiphany Epiphanies means. It's a manifestation of God. You see, this guy Antiochus, he thought, he says, I'm Zeus. Right? The Greek God, the one that's over all the other Greek gods. I am Zeus. And in fact, he goes into Israel. He marches into the temple. He says, these guys are, are in rebellion against me. And he sets up an altar to Zeus. And he slaughters a pig. And he stops worship in Israel for over three years. Interesting. And then there's the Maccabean Revolt. You might have heard that name. Where this guerrilla movement begins... And they fight against the empire. And somehow, they win. Can you guess how? It says, by no human hand. Do you remember that phrase before? In the previous vision, in the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, the empires rise and the empires fall. The rock made of no human hand, comes in and hits the feet of the image that Nebuchadnezzar dreams of. God acts. It's interesting. 
God always gets in the way of those who proclaim themselves to be gods. doesn't matter whether it's Nero, Mao, the Fuhrer. So 167 years before Christ, Antiochus does what I said he did in the temple. And then three years, over three years later, there's the Maccabean revolt. Interesting. What's it say in verse 14? For 2,300 evenings and mornings. What are evenings and mornings? They have an evening and a morning sacrifice. If you take the Greek calendar and you measure the time of days between Antiochus moving in and slaughtering his pig and the Maccabeans gaining victory over three years later on December 25th, now celebrated as Hanukkah, you'll find that there are 22, sorry, 2,300, 2,300 morning and evening sacrifices that were missed. And so once again, God shows his hand not only in the miraculous victory, but in telling that this victory would take place after this abomination of the temple happened. And this is consistent with other apocalyptic prophecies and partial fulfillments. Bad things happen. God tells us beforehand, these bad things are going to happen. He gives us details. He says, this is how it's going to play out. And it plays out that way. And God shows his power, his control, his sovereignty over that situation. And do you know what? Daniel is still in shock. Like I said, Daniel didn't have all the information that we have because we're after the fact looking back on it. He's just the scribe who's writing down the vision. And he's going, I wonder how this will all play out. Just in the same way the disciples were hearing Jesus prophesy about him falling. His crucifixion. And they're scratching their head going, you know, we know he's the king, but how is all this going to play out? How is he going to be victorious? We need to understand. We need to accept the limits of our capability. To understand and that way we'll be satisfied with our limited responsibility to act. And we'll have joy in this fact that there is a limited vulnerability. <laughs> because when we accept God as God and don't demand that we have all the answers, at the beginning, at the end we go, well, you know what? God's God. I'm not God. And I can trust the fact that he has a perfect plan and he will take care of his own. And you know, for those things that are in our future, that there are prophecies about in this Bible, 
There's a lot we can understand, but there's a lot we still will not understand. But we can go, hey, (laughs) he's going to surprise us again. It's going to be mysterious for us how it all plays out. But when it plays out, we're going to be able to go back to the word and go, that's what he meant. Oh, this is how it all fits together. But for right now, I want to take a phrase from the final verse of this chapter. And I want us to own this phrase. And I, Daniel, was overcome, lay sick for some days. Then I arose. Are you listening? Then I arose and went about the king's business. What did that mean for Daniel? Well... He did his job. In one sense, he he was always like right-hand man to the king. He was always involved in the government. As we go through these various empires, Babylon and Medo-Persia, he was right there. He was supposed to do his job. But in another sense, we also know Daniel was all about doing the real king's business, wasn't he? That was why he ended up in the lion's den. Didn't matter that he worked for the king of the empire and the king of the empire said, you can't pray to anybody else. He was tricked into making that decision. Daniel said, no, I continue to pray. I continue to worship. I continue to serve the king of kings. What about you? What about me? What about our responsibility? Is it about knowing all the answers? No. It's about us doing the king's business, doing our job. You know, our our regular everyday job should be done for God's glory in a way that would please him, in a way that shines a light on his goodness, his integrity. His glory through us only because of his presence in us. Are we living lives of worshiping him, witnessing for him? Something that can only be accomplished in relationship with him. This is life in Christ. And so as we see how Daniel receives The interpretation, not as much as we would have wanted, probably not as much as Daniel wanted, as he still comes to the end of that interpretation and he says, didn't understand it. This is our takeaway. This godly man, Daniel, was still able to live his life even though he didn't understand everything because he didn't need to understand everything. And in accepting that position, he did the king's business. The real king's business. And in relationship with him, he said, you know what? It's not just limited capability or limited responsibility. It's also limited 
vulnerability. God's got everything under control. And I can be happy and at peace with that as I walk in relationship with Him. And Father, I pray that You would help us to find that same joy and peace as we live our lives today, as we look into Your Word and, and this prophecy has been fulfilled. It's a precursor to other prophecies that will be fulfilled. And I ask that you'd help us to understand your desire to live in relationship with us. Help us to be humble, Lord. To be humbled and to be humble. Help us to be satisfied with the part that you've given to us. May we live lives according to your truth and in relationship your person. And may we testify the reality of that other great prophecy that has been fulfilled already. Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, giving his life on the cross to pay for our sins and rising rising again. Power over sin and death. The opportunity for us to live in relationship with you. Amen.